I am thankful for this show. I am thankful for Disney's pure monetization of my needs because it does make me feel connected and it gives me the opportunity to hang out and talk with you guys. And I appreciate that. Now, Andrew, feel free to shit on it. It's knuckle puck time! What the heck kind of a shot was that? You've never heard of a knuckle puck? Whoa! Crack! Crack! It's knuckle puck time! Welcome, everyone, to Knuckle Puck Time. I'm Andrew Apple. I remain David Hankler. And I'm m- 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 Mark Winsky. This week, Mighty Ducks Game Changers. Episode 2, the stretching out of the first Mighty Ducks movie into the longest five to six hour film that they could possibly turn it into without making it feel like they're taking advantage of us, which they are. But, you know, that's the abusive relationship that we have with Disney. Um, If you're watching this on YouTube, yes, I do look like the the consistency of tofu at the moment. I... Do not plan on staying up until midnight to watch Game Changers again. Well, I'll get let's up. Just say, let's just say, though, high quality tofu. Uh, we are not yeah. like. I blame the lighting, though, Andrew. I understand that we were both up much later than we intended to be. Uh, let's not be quite so morbid because I'm not going to claim that this was an excellent episode by any stretch. But there were absolutely some things that I still enjoyed in it, and I, I could appreciate that there are certain elements where you can tell things are, are pretty fake. Like there's an extended sequence in this episode where you see Emilio, Coach Bombay, skating again. And I have no idea how good at skating Emilio Estevez actually is, but he's not that good, as you can tell by the fact that anytime he's doing anything even slightly complicated, the shot is quite pulled back and blurred on his face. I, I have that actually written down in my penalty box. Well, let's wait for that and stay tuned for the penalty box where Andrew will share his deep, dark secret about Emilio Estevez. Yeah, let's let's just get right into it. Andrew, you got a recap for us? Oh, yes, the recap. We love the recap. I do have a recap. All right, here we go. This is the recap. Just to warn you, uh, clearly writing this late at night uh, makes it dark and morbid. Uh, so just be prepared for that. Did you enjoy movies like The Karate Kid and The Sandlot growing up? Movies where people who seemingly have no athletic skill miraculously find a way to beat the other team that's been training for years after a mere montage. Well, if you did, you're going to hate this episode. Alex is an awful coach who only wants to worry about the kids having fun, not realizing it's not fun if you have no chance at winning, Gordon Bombay still hates hockey, and despite the fact that there are moments where you think that the Don't Bothers might win their first game, they don't. But at the end of the episode, we hear the original Mighty Ducks theme, and suddenly everything seems right in the world. David, what do you think of the show? Yeah, definitely a little on the darker side than I'm used to. Um, You're normally a much sunnier person than the one we're seeing right now, and I I mean that both in the sense that you look pale. in terms of the show, I agree with you that that Coach A, Lorelai Gilmore, which is her name. I know she has a real name. I know she's a very respected actress. Uh, I, in fact, quite like her work. But her name is Lorelai Gilmore. It always will be. She's not a good coach. But on a weird level, I actually kind of liked her tactics because she does seem to know how to kind of pull a team together. She doesn't actually know how to coach hockey 
or teach skills or give them any chance of winning. But that that first exercise that she performs of having a trust puck and spoilers to everyone, apologize in advance. Uh, that's going to happen a lot in this podcast because it's the next day recap. Uh, I encourage you, if you have families that are watching this show, use us for follow up or for thoughts. If you want to see if you want to watch this with your children or not. Well, let's just say, though, too, that that. I, I think this character must have either gone to summer camp or been a camp counselor because th- those are activities that are real, real, real strong, real strong uh, camp counselor vibes with the trust mm-hmm. puck. Yep, very much so. But, uh, but I also, on some level, kind of appreciated it because unlike the first Mighty Ducks movie where it was a ragtag bunch of kids who already were on a team together and were already friends... Or even Mighty Ducks 2, where it was a team that was previously established as friends, and then a bunch of new people who they kind of had to make friends with. This is largely just people. I mean, yes, our our star and his best friend uh, are already friends. You know, we, we've got our anchor in Nick, it's like, and then we've got Evan. So like we've we've got those two, but everyone else is effectively new to this squad. So. They don't really know each other. I mean, it, it's not like uh, they were able to just go out and talk to their best friends and bring them all in. You know, one kid just moved across the street. One girl was one of the popular girls who reveals that her superpower is just emotionally destroying people in very precise and mathematical ways, which I got to be honest, I admired that. It was horrifying and I really admired it. Um, then we've got the kid who is a daredevil, who's a hardcore skater and just wants to push himself to the limits. And the kid tried to grind the boards. Which was kind of awesome. And he was right. He could not it do that. It was hysterical. No, it, it was a great uh, cinematic part of the episode that needed that part very yeah. badly. We, we are learning who these characters are, but so are they. So I actually kind of liked that they did this exercise, both as a TV show, because we don't really know these characters, and getting most of our exposition in podcast style format, despite the fact that clearly I enjoy podcasts as I'm on one, uh, it gets a little much having it just everything just be narrated in that way. Getting characters to actually talk about themselves a little is not something that's ever particularly easy to put into a kid's show. So it, it worked. We got to know the characters better and we got to discover that uh, Coach A, Lorelai Gilmore, knows nothing about hockey at all and so coaching is going to be a stretch going off of that too it was it was really great to kind of see that team bonding aspect without the majority of the kids moaning and groaning mm-hmm. it just seems accepted that like that's cool and like that's okay to to like share a part of yourself that maybe people don't know and not and be like, oh man, oh, feelings, oh, come on, Miss A, Coach A, like. Yeah, they just went for it, which I immediately liked those kids even more. I mean, the fact that they all said, screw it, let's let's join this random team of people who just want to have fun, already, positive first impression. But when someone asks you as a preteen to be vulnerable, and you just say, okay, and you just immediately share real facts about yourself. I mean, uh, 
the Daredevil kid, Sam immediately reveals that he burst his spleen, that despite the fact that he paints himself as basically being indestructible, that he inside is already pretty messed up from trying to be indestructible. To admit that you are effectively mortal when you are 11 or 12 or 13 is hard enough as it is. To do that when your whole MO is that you're a daredevil is actually incredibly brave. So yes, I, I agree this was very touchy-feely and it showed that that Alex, Coach A, Lorelai Gilmore, doesn't really know how to be a hockey coach. She, she does kind of know how to be a mom. Okay, so this actually leads me to a question. What exactly did Evan think was going to happen when his mother, who had never coached hockey before, became the coach of their team? Because I can see two scenarios. Either A, he thought, like he said in the episode, that she's been watching all those years, so she must have picked up something. Or B, he had it in the back of his mind that he would basically run the team himself like some sort of shadow government um, where he would actually be the coach and his mom would just sort of be like the Christopher Lloyd character in Camp Nowhere. I imagine it's kind of both. First off, I at 12, I don't remember being particularly strategic about my choices. And I'm one of the most strategic people I know. I, I process the strategy of almost everything that I do. And at 12, I would have just been over, just overwhelmed and thrilled to have the chance to keep playing hockey in this context. And yes, I probably would have subconsciously assumed that I was going to be the one who was largely doing everything the team needed, which by the end, he is doing. I mean, he does step in after the game is over and basically put the guys, like put the guys is the wrong term because it's, it's a co-ed team, put the team through skating drills because they're not good at skating. And that is the most basic fundamental that if you can't move on the ice, then how are you going to do anything else? So he just goes out and goes to work. He is, I mean, like all captains are, he's effectively an assistant coach. Uh, what he hoped for from his mom, I imagine, was adult guidance. That you assume that she knows hockey because she's been watching for years. And you assume that she's going to know how to wrangle everybody with an authority that he's not naturally going to possess. I think it's also very assumed that he's still hoping that Coach Bombay is going to step in and be part of this process as well. That's the big part, right? Like, right. That's the, that's an important piece to this puzzle that we haven't spoken about is the, the man on the couch, right? Mm -hmm. He's He's got championships. He's got global domination in hockey. He's got all these things, and yet he takes a nap from 1 to 3 p.m. and makes jokes about closing the door on your way out. Mm-hmm. Though he did also give some great advice in this episode, and we are being a bit nonlinear in how we're breaking down the plot. But uh, just like how in the last episode, I kind of snatched onto that moment that the Twin Cities were providing city funding for kids who were less well-funded, who were poor, to still participate in hockey, a sport that is not cheap to play and that very clearly 
was largely self-funded by wealthy parents and sponsorships. The thing that I caught on in this episode was the first piece of advice that Coach Bombay basically gives is, so you need stuff? Go steal it. Not from a, you know, a business or a store or whatnot. These are rich families. They lose things. They go missing. It happens. So go steal it because it's not being used. I love that. Go full nihilist. That was actually a great moment uh, in the plot because Gordon, when he's telling them all of this, if you notice, he cannot say the word Hendrix. Mm. Like there is still something inside of him that just like totally Voldemort's the word. Mm. Now, if you really need equipment, there's a lost and found over at that Ducks skating complex. They got tons of stuff there. Interesting. That's a good setup that I yeah. did not catch. Thank you, Andrew. Not a problem. One thing during that sequence that I did find a little awkward was that they used Logan, the new, very attractive kid who just moved in across the street, who is 12. And who, as he states in the episode, and I fully admit, does have a great head of hair. I mean, that is that is some floppy magnificence. But uh, he is tasked with going and effectively flirting with the secretary, the administrative lead. I don't I don't know what her official title would be, but the older woman wearing librarian style glasses messing around on her phone guarding the front of Hendrick's arena. And when she looks up at him, she just lights up and immediately it's this kind of I'm very helpful, please what can I do for you kind of flirting, which Though I can understand that life is inherently easier for people who are attractive. Mark, I'm sure you can tell us about this all day. No. I wish I was at that level, but... Uh, it's one of my favorite 30 Rock episodes where they talk about the bubble. That you just reach... There are certain people who are just attractive to a way where the rest of the world just kind of stops fighting them. They're called models. Or John Hamm. Uh, or most of the cast of the Avengers. Anywho. Yeah, it, it was slightly uncomfortable to me, though. They basically, that they honeypotted a child. Like, that was a weird thing that they keep talking about throughout this entire series. These are kids. This isn't high stakes. These are kids. Let them have fun. These are kids. Don't make them act like adults. These are kids. They're not professionals. And then they use a child in a sexual way. That was a little weird. That was a little weird. I get that it's supposed to be kind of innocent that it's like, hi, I'm, I'm the hot kid. Don't mind me. I'm going to do what I need to do. But if you're going to have a teenager flirt with someone, it should be a teenager. I feel like this sequence would have gone much better if they just sent in Nick to be like the adorable, befuddled. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The adorable, befuddled grandchild to be like, excuse me, I'm not great at sports, but like I've been trying to figure this out. And have the grandmother instinct kick yeah. in immediately of like, yeah, of course, let me help you. I'm so sorry. Like, I think that was what they were going for, though. I I think they were trying to maybe at the writer's table, writer's room, maybe this is how it came off on the day. Maybe. I don't know. I've never seen a hot dude flip his hair when it wasn't a very intentional flirt. I, I agree with you. I agree it was weird. I agree I felt uncomfortable. And I agree, it worked. So, and they, 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 they have their stuff. And yep. it was, um, I was kind of, although I do agree that the rich folks at Hendrix Arena and the, the Ducks didn't, didn't need that stuff. It was 
a very strange way to obtain it. It was, especially because they framed the ep- oh, like the action as, hey, this is all a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, it just goes in the lost to found and people never go and look for it. They just get new stuff. You know, this is an, an infinite money pit. And then Evan finds his hockey stick from two years ago, which is weird because they are not depicted as being a particularly wealthy family in any way. And losing, uh, losing a lucky piece of athletic equipment is a big deal. Like, that's emotional. You look hard for something that you think is lucky. It's called to a lose. magic stick, he says. Right, and he, no, he calls it his magic wand. Oh, magic wand. Thank you. Thank you right. for the correction. Then he yeah. was... That, that that hockey stick made him a wizard, that they had an undefeated season two years before. Uh, also, I don't know about any of you, but I definitely grew between 11 and 13. So I don't think many pieces of equipment that I would use at 11 would still fit me at 13, but I mean, that's different aspects of storytelling, and he does not seem particularly tall. Um, and I guess he's 12, not 13. So anyway, but 10 to 12 still. Uh, I... It was that was a weird thing. It was nice to have that little moment of it's my magic wand, because now that's a a Chekhov's gun thing that they can just keep bringing up in future episodes. That you know the wizard is at work. Um, it also, frankly, gives him a bit of a a mystic parallel to Gordon's Minnesota Miracle Man. So I like the linguistic play that they are setting up. But if you're arguing that everyone who loses stuff in Hendrick's Arena is wealthy enough that they just get new stuff. It's really weird to then immediately turn around and have a kid who's not wealthy find his missing stuff. The the thing that bothered me in this episode about the class warfare line is not the constant reminder that in our current society, which is as split between the haves and have-nots as it has been in a century, uh, is is that when the have-nots went to go and take the discards from the haves, so that they could truly play. One of the have-nots had his stuff in there too. That's what I keep coming back to, that yes, no, though we've introduced the magic wand as, as Evan's magical hockey stick. Spectacular, great, we're gonna run with that. Evan had stuff in there too, and Evan is a have-not. So if the have-nots are supposed to be taking from the haves, and there's stuff in there from the have-nots, they're not just taking from the haves. They might be mostly taking from the haves, but they might also be taking from the have-nots, which means this is not really class warfare. This is stealing. And I am not cool with stealing. That sat with me weird. Do you think they're setting up a storyline where probably by, I don't know, maybe episode seven, more likely episode eight, like, Evan will be offered a spot back on the Ducks yes, after they... Yeah. Okay. yeah, absolutely. They're going to get good and they're going to want to take the player and... Um, yeah, that he's he's going to show the coach, uh, you know, Coach T, that he's actually much better than Coach T realized. And Coach T is probably going to make some statement about, you know, you own mistakes when you make them. So if you want to come back to the Ducks, you're welcome to. Please keep your mom away. And him saying, no, why would I want that, is in all likelihood going to be the breaking point also for, uh, what is her name? His best friend, Sophie. Sophie, who, uh, something that I, I noticed reviewing through the first episode again, as kind of the precursor to watching this one, 
You know that Sophie is the best player on the Ducks, not just because we're introduced to her as she's knocking golf balls off of traffic cones, but because she's wearing the same number as Adam Banks did on the Hawks and as Gordon Bombay did on the Hawks. There were some good references in that, Mm -hmm. and I didn't notice that one. That's a good little Easter egg. They are filling this show with Easter eggs. There are so many little things that are getting queued up. Let's talk about the Easter egg. I mean, it is Easter this weekend. It's true. Yes, we are currently recording this on Good Friday. This brings us to our Easter egg part of the show called... Mm -hmm. um, The Duck Hunt? Yep. (laughs) It is called The Duck Hunt because we are hunting for the Easter eggs. Speaking of that, I was hoping there'd be more props in the lost and found room i i was hoping there would be like goldberg's og vest goalie vest well if if it wasn't in the lost and found i you would expect that gear from the original mighty ducks would be framed in the arena right the the setup of this really is that the ducks went from ragtag true american story have nots to then being dominant and creating this empire. So yeah, I mean, you expect that the people who were the original founders would be honored within the House of Duck, within the nest. Uh, And we also know that original ducks are coming back to this series at some point. So if they're for some reason coming back, which I imagine is probably gonna be for some kind of an honorary thing, some kind of a a ducks thanking them thing, which is gonna be weird because they're old enough now that they probably have kids. I mean, they're our age and older. It's weird that you would have a a setup where you would honor people, but you would not have tokens of honor. It was great. Speaking of another Easter egg, it was great to see the beach balls come back out. That was fun. I like that. Can we talk about Nick in general while we're here? I've I've got this... Note on my pad, just saying. As soon as as soon as he pops up on my screen, I'm just listening to every word he's saying, and just I'm sign of a good podcast host. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm ready to hear that one liner because I know it's going to be good every time. Like Mazel Tov to the writers, like Mazel Tov to 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 the writers that have really. I feel like right now he's one of the most uh, fully formed characters at this point. Well, we know him. Like he, his character is engaging in a way that we we are getting to know him very quickly. I mean, we are. You're right. He's he's he's. Well, he's the narrator. Who he is? Yeah. Right. He's the narrator and the sidekick, which is a combination you don't actually see too often outside of Shakespearean plays. So respect. Uh, but yeah, he is, he is the podcast bodied hockey enthusiastic son of two moms who just seems to be joyous about most things. I mean, I, I love during the trophy ceremony that gets Evan's goat so thoroughly. It's like, no, you get trophies at the end of the season. This isn't even a participation thing that Nick is just overjoyed, but it's like, whoa, 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 I've never won a trophy for anything ever. I want to hear what the lady's thoughts are. Like, <laughs> he's just when when someone can participate in something in which they are bad. I mean, he's bad. He's he's 
gets destroyed when he's actually out on the ice. He seems to have the mobility of uh, like a mini fridge. Like he's just he's not an athlete in any way and he owns it, but he's just endlessly enthusiastic despite this. Everything about him is just coated in a general joy, and I love that about him. And also, he needs that to be the foil to Evan, who is real grumpy. I mean, granted, I I would be grumpy too. Mm-hmm. I would be. It's it's a it's a hard pill to swallow being a teenager, getting kicked off of the team that you love so much yep. because you couldn't progress at the level because of financial reasons, and there's nothing you well, can do. About let's it. also be honest. Because you haven't hit puberty yet. All of those other kids are a lot taller than him on that team. Uh, oh, on the Cardinals, too. Uh, yeah. The team they just played. So much they bigger. Were, they, were pro- I, they were giants. They were yeah. professional hockey players that were playing kids. They were clearly, you know, it was, this is the 12 to 14 league. Those are clearly 14 moving towards 15 significant. Like, you're, by the time I was 14, I was almost full grown. And I'm not a particularly big person, but I was a lot bigger than a lot of my classmates who then ended up outgrowing me later on. And I was a lot bigger than fourth graders. Andrew, actually, you mentioned something earlier about where you see this going, this show going, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I want to add that I kind of hope that they just don't become the greatest team. You want them to bad news bears this, basically? Kind of, yeah. I do. I do want that. I want them to rocky this. I don't want it to be a, hey, you know, you remain scrappy and you know, things are fine. No, I want them, like, I expect that they're going to lose, but you can have a tie in hockey. And like, I would love to see them just get tenderized for most of the season, but just keep getting better and better and better until they reach the point where, they can legitimately challenge the Ducks. They don't win. Nah, nah. That's nonsense. They can't win, right? No, they can't win. Uh, On episode two, we are not saying... If they win, I'll honestly be a little disappointed because that's that's just too much. I mean, they're trying to set this in some realm of reality. Yeah, Rocky didn't win either. Right, that's my point. Rocky lost, but he took him all the way to the end. And that's what I want to see. I want to see the Ducks take... And I was like taken all the way to the limit by the don't bothers. I want to see them pushed as far as the ducks can possibly be pushed. So it's not a, oh my God, the team that's just having fun beat the ducks. I want all of, to see all of those parents who are half the target market for this, look at each other and look at their children and look at themselves and think, how much money am I spending for all of these additional people? to try and make my kids unstoppable and how much time and how much effort and how tired are my kids all the time to have an end result where, yeah, they won. They did win, but they didn't win by that much over the kids who were just happy. I want that emotional conclusion. I want this to be for adults. I want this to be more of an indictment of the machine of professional sports that is youth sports yeah gonna be honest that's who's watching the show i've 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 been on uh a couple of of zoom calls doing presentations 
with some teen groups doing some educating and inclusion awareness uh, workshops. And I mention our podcast sometimes and uh, no one, uh, no teenagers have seen the show yet. <laughs> um, right. They're well, not also, I'm sorry. It. No, they're watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. No, like this show is for us. It is for us. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's for our generation, maybe those slightly older who have kids, who are young, and maybe, maybe for kids 9 to 12, or maybe 7 to 12. But, like, I, my niece and nephew haven't seen the show yet. Yeah, we talked about this, though. Like, it was, a, it, we talked about the very strange It's weird gap. timing. It's a weird, it's weird, yeah. Like, why now? Why Why would this show need to be here now? Is it the blast of nostalgia that's kind of forcing Disney's hand right now? Possibly. Possibly. I mean, the the return of Karate Kid with three seasons of Cobra Kai, which really didn't hit its popularity stride until this year when it shifted over to Netflix. Uh, we are in a wave of national nostalgia that I believe is kind of tied into a couple of things. Yep. I'm Mark just, right now is rocking a Powerline shirt. It's excellent. I'm doing a little, a little shimmy with Powerline <laughs> on my chest because mm-hmm. I got to stand one of the best. Out. I got to stand out above the crowd, man. Absolutely. Uh, but the discussion that I was in recently that I really liked. Uh, one, we've all been in a pandemic for the last year, so we're all inside reminiscing. So of course you're going to have deep feelings of nostalgia because you're remembering times when you weren't stuck inside. That's just at, at minimum. That's just human nature. You're going to start looking back. But secondarily, uh, it was a really interesting interview that I read recently that talked about why certain things actually need disclaimers. You know, you, you hear people yelling all the time. Oh my God, the Muppets, the Muppets now have disclaimers. That's ridiculous. Well, the, the point of that interview that I read was when things aired live, you know, when you turned on your TV to NBC and at eight o'clock on Tuesdays, it happened live and you had no idea when it would air again. It anchored itself in history and in our memories as happening in the context of that moment. So that was relevant. It was part of who you were at that time in your life. And therefore, it was very easy to look back and process that entertainment, that show, that movie, whatever it was, that book, with what the world was like and who you were at that time in your life. But now, everything is now. I can turn on a streaming service and watch I Love Lucy as if it was on air at this moment. And it doesn't matter that it came out when my, like when my dad was a child. It doesn't matter because it's now. I can watch it in any speed, with any speed, in any form that I want now, which means that all art is now. Everything is both new and rooted in history, which means everything that is old is both new again and also promoting discussion. So with that context, of course you're going to have a... a a fire hose of nostalgia hitting culture because kids are going to turn things on while stuck inside watching a lot of TV or watching 
you know, on smartphones and iPads or whatever, just anything to kind of escape from the world that they're in and give their parents a break as well. And they're going to find things that are being bought up largely by people our age and slightly older who are running all these major streaming services. And they're going to see it's in, you know, top three movies, top five shows, whatever this week. And they're going to turn it on and then they're going to wonder about it. They're going to look it up. They're going to talk about it with their friends. They're going to ask their parents about it. So they are experiencing all of these things new and then being kind of shoveled the history as they're experiencing it. So I, I still feel that the timing of putting Mighty Ducks on right now is weird from a marketing perspective because the people who grew up with the Mighty Ducks, for the most part, aren't quite old enough to be parents then taking their kids into this. And the kids that our generation has, for the most part, aren't quite old enough to really appreciate it. Also, winter's over in most places. So it's it's a little weird watching something about hockey uh, on Easter. It's a little weird. I don't know. There are a lot of weird choices with Disney releasing this. But I am personally glad that they did because I like having these conversations. And I like acknowledging that certain things existed in certain moments. And I like that this show, in recreating what was is forcing people to have these discussions about what has changed that though content is now omnipresent and nothing exists at any point in history we do still have to have some discussion about how different things are from then to now i see real value in that i agree with everything that you just said and see good Let the to let the tofu speak. <laughs> so I agree with everything you said, and I think that there is value in nostalgia, despite whatever negativity that I have been pointing out this episode, which leads me to our new segment that I'd like to call the best of Bombay, because if we can gripe about a lot of things in this show, one of them that we cannot gripe about is the return of the Minnesota Miracle Man, Emilio Estevez, Gordon Bombay, who was pitch perfect in every single way in his performance Agreed. in this episode. Absolutely. Completely through to arrogance. Sorry. Go, Andrew. <laughs> Mark, what was your favorite Bombay moment of the episode. Oh, absolutely. And it hit me, and I already know the answer. It is when... It's your answer! No, 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 no. It hit me while watching. Maybe I didn't describe that as... I just love it. It's like, what was your favorite moment? Oh, I know the answer. Of course you do. It's your answer. (laughs) No, I know this. But I didn't know the question going in, but I knew Mm. the answer before he asked it. So here we go. That's an SAT math. Listen... (laughs) If I may finish my excitement. (laughs) While I was watching this episode, there's a part where uh, Evan walks in the room and Bombay is taking a nap on the couch from one to three. Emilio Estevez's eyes stay shut the entire conversation. 
He does not acknowledge that Evan is really there. He's still in his dream state, just having a conversation, whatever. And it is perfection, just grumpy old man. And I, it, it, I commented on that during my watch. I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. That's great. David, your favorite Bombay moment of the episode. Uh, actually, in the same scene, uh, I did not notice that the eyes were closed the whole time. That's actually a great detail. Emilio, you remain a very impressive actor. Uh, mine was that Evan asked what the difference was between his team and the old Ducks. And Bombay responded, the old Ducks had me. You don't. <laughs> Which, if you've listened to the other episodes of our podcast... Bombay is a really bad coach. <laughs> like, he's bad. And the fact, we don't know the backstory yet of why he got fired from the college where he clearly was a coach, was, which is one of the Easter eggs kind of hidden in the background that you see articles about him losing that job. But uh, the coaching world in college is kind of a, a self-feeder. It's like one of those cat water fountains. Like, if you get a job coaching in college and have any success, no matter what happens there, you will find a job somewhere else. I mean, Kelvin Sampson is currently coaching the Houston Cougars uh, in the Final Four, uh, despite the fact that Kelvin Sampson has a truly horrific history with what he has done to programs before. So the fact coming that, from two Indiana people on this podcast, we lived through the Kelvin Sampson years and how he destroyed our program. Exactly, he destroyed the Indiana basketball program, one of the most prestigious and acclaimed programs in the world of college sports. Not even just college basketball, college sports. They are the last team to go in like undefeated, and Kelvin Sam Kelvin Sampson destroyed them. And now he's coaching again in the final four. Because if you are good, you will find a job again. So despite the fact that Emilio clearly, well, sorry, that Bombay clearly thinks he was a great coach, he didn't get another job. So I don't know what the whole backstory is there. But that, again, roots me back to the answer that he was not good. We never saw him be good. We saw him pay insufficient attention to the players. We saw him teach fundamentals. A couple times, slightly and in slightly weird ways, which were charming, but he's not a good coach. He's not. So the pure, magnificent arrogance that this man on the couch is basically saying, oh, no, all that you need to be great is me, and you can't have it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Everything about it. It's wonderful. Andrew, what's yours? Well, since you point out that he may not have been a good coach, one thing he is is a person with amazing comedic timing. Because that scene in his office with Evan, where he's like, you know who doesn't care? This guy. Which guy? The look on his face when was, Evan- Was great. Just did not understand the reference was amazing. And <laughs> even his line, his small, his small line about closing the door on your way out. His timing on that, there is, it was it was absolutely perfection. And and you know what? I don't. It feels like to me that 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 they didn't film that scene that many times. Yes, agreed. 
It's uh, it was like a two taker done, and I think that's what's so great about his scenes is they all feel so natural. Mm-hmm. Um, they, oh, they, they feel like he wandered onto the set, said, "All right, let's do this." Is so professional. He did it in one take. Yeah, and then they oh, figured yeah. out a way around right. him, yeah. like. Like them walking in to film those extra scenes on the couch, it almost felt like he was approaching it from, yeah, I've got other things I have to do today, so I'm going to take a nap, have them walk in on me when it's time to film the scene. And he just woke from the nap immediately in character, snapped through it, banged it out perfectly. Yeah. And then they went, can we do another take? And he went, nope. Why? Yeah. <laughs> like maybe maybe two takes. I'll give him two takes. Maybe. I will. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think he knows this franchise so well as well. Like he, mm-hmm. he, he knows what works. He's a great actor. He really is a great actor. And it shows through this. Which and weirdly, like I would not, uh, no disrespect to, to Emilio at all or to that family. But like, I, I never thought of Emilio as a particularly good actor before. You know, he was entertaining. I like him in the breakfast club. You know, he was part of the Brat Pack back in the day. And like, I always thought he was, Good at kind of being Gen Xy, broody, moody, and I, I I liked him. I liked him in Young Guns. He's you know, he's fine. He plays Billy the Kid, so he's you know, a bit of a bloopy wise. Um, as Bombay, I never thought that was a particularly good performance, and he never particularly seemed like he wanted to be there. Which he's perfect for this role, right? Yeah, he's perfect for this. And and I want to see more of him. Not not in the show yet, because as I think he's placed in perfect times. Mm-hmm. So far, where there's not too much of Bombay, but um, yeah, his it's it really it's a great is performance. Brilliant to watch him in this format. So as brilliant as he is, and even though we've been airing a lot of grievances <clears throat> during this episode, there's one place where we go to air every grievance that we have, and that is the penalty the box. penalty box, David. What are your gripes with this episode that we haven't already talked about? This is the big one, and this is where, if you'd like, we can get into the scene where Gordon Bombay. Don't tell me what to do. Is... <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take that. I'll take that one. I'll take that one. It was <laughs> no, no, no. atrocious. Okay. It was atrocious that they tr- even. It was terrible filmmaking. That they could trick us in that way, in any sort of way. Well, but that's what's so frustrating about it. I mean, we have the technology now. Give him a helmet. You give give him a helmet. Give him a helmet, or I'm sorry, if you want to spend a little more money, we now have the technology to put a face on anyone. We have that ability. People do it on YouTube for kicks. Like it's it's not hard. So if you want to have a body double skating around doing all kinds of impressive things and emilio either can't do that or just doesn't want to fine fine throw a face on him or as andrew put it throw a helmet on him it's fine it was so bad it was like taking a a video of me uh shooting a three-pointer and then cutting to shaquille o'neal shooting a three-pointer it's a good analogy because uh, the guy who was depicting Coach Bombay was also a large and athletic human. And as we established last episode, Emilio Estevez... And in very good shape. In very, good, in shape. very good shape. Emilio Estevez is in his late 50s and 5'3". Yeah. So it just... Yeah, no, it just didn't... That was that was a mess. That was just an absolute mess. Um, That's my penalty box. 
that might be yours yeah. too. Uh, no, that was that was one of my biggest rants. Um, the other one that I have that just bugged me was Coop. We've established that Coop has incredible instincts that he just catches things in every direction. And despite this, he doesn't move when he's in the goal, like at all. And I get that he's got to learn how to be a goalie. He doesn't know how to use his legs. I get that. I get that completely. And I get that almost every shot taken on him was at his foot level. But the kid does have incredible uh, hand-eye coordination. I mean, just truly superhuman hand-eye coordination. How does he not move his hands ever? I mean, people threw things at him when he wasn't paying attention, and he caught them instinctively, like a Jedi. And yet... I can help. He's covered in pads. He's covered in a helmet. He's covered in all these things. He's on skates. He's on ice. He's in a confined space. He's never played a game of hockey in his life. I think it's okay. I think it sets the tone. And and I will say I did love his line (laughs) in the locker room where he was like... Yeah, I just went to a weird place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good line. It's like, we didn't win? Oh, yeah. Um, no, that was fun. Um, I liked that. I know, I liked a lot of the individual lines in this. Um, I want to see a lot of these characters fleshed out a lot more. In particular, Yeah. and this is a, this is a smaller complaint. Uh, I want to get to know Lauren better. You know, our, our LARPing elven princess warrior. Mm-hmm. Like, so far, her entire existence feels written by men. That, it like, it's like, oh, who are you? Oh, I am a warrior princess. And I carry nunchucks. <laughs> got anything else going on? Like, can, we, can we know a little more about you? Nope. That's all we got. Yeah. Because we are adult men writing a young girl who is a LARPer. So, like, I just, I want to know this character better. I do, because there's a lot you can do there. And also, the actress seems quite good. You know, the the little facial expressions that she's throwing out. Like, this is a good cast. I want to see them use it more. We have time. We have plenty of episodes, I think. And, 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 and we will. I, I think they're, mm-hmm. I don't think, the writers, based on what we've seen so far, is going to l- let that character development go. I think that there's going to be a lot of growth, a lot of, even just based on what we talked about earlier, about her sitting the team down and talk about internal feelings already. Like, right. it's going to be there. It, 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 I mean, dear God, please let it be there. <laughs> I am dearly hoping that she becomes the newest iteration of a Bash Brother. Yeah. I'm really hoping that Fulton Reed comes back sometime in the final third of the season oh, and teaches her. Episode happen? six. Oh. Episode six. Is this what's Episode gonna, six. I'm very is good. Th- this what's going to happen? Oh my! Are, are the ducks going to come back and teach and individually team? mentor? Yeah. I mean, you could absolutely have a Luis Mendoza teach Sam. You know, hey, an ultra speedster teaching a daredevil. You could have Julie, Fulton Julie Reed. the cat teaches Coop, yeah. Yeah. So we know that we have Fulton, Averman, Connie, Gee, Kenny, and Kenny. Banks coming back. Kenny Wu. I, I, I get that, but that's that's a weird 
group of six, because that's five people who lived in the Twin Cities and were part of the original team. And then the former Olympics figure skater who happened to be in D2 and appears in D3, but is massively minimized. That's it's just a weird sixth person. Their thought process was they wanted to make sure they had all the movies represented. And okay. say what you will, but the the ducks from the first movie, mm-hmm. they are forever the mighty ducks. Yes. And the Dwaynes and the Julie the Cats and the Kennys and the Portmans, they are D2 and D3. That's fair. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just they are their iteration in the lore of the Mighty Ducks begins in D2 and they wanted to represent all three movies. I get that. I get it. Um, it's still weird to just have one who isn't from that region. It is. We'll see it. We'll find out. We'll see. Andrew, there is something I would like to, to talk about, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to the end credits of this ah. show, ah. Uh, do you have that queued up for us? I do. David, I want you to just like take a listen to the end credit song. Mm-hmm. And I want you to just wonder and have a thought about it and what what comes up so man this is wide open like anything to you david it's familiar but i can't put my finger on it what is it anything i'm drawing a blank fill me in guys how about this one oh snap huh well that's that's a slightly awkward miss on my part um (laughs) Uh, just out of curiosity, uh, where did we get our theme song? Because I thought you guys put it together. We wrote our theme song. Yeah, yes, that's what I thought. Did. And this song was written in 2020. And I've never heard this song in my lifetime. Nope, nor, never once. Nor <laughs> could I, because it's, uh, yeah. Well, cool. That's how close we are on... We're at the Pulse, the guys. We're yeah. at the Pulse. Yes. Um, yeah. But... With the pulse mm-hmm. being a thing that needs to be timed, time is something we're unfortunately out of, gentlemen. We've reached the end of our podcast, so I'd like to take a moment to give you the chance to share your final thoughts, uh, any final gripes, any final joys, anything that uh, you would like to share. David, I'll start with you. And also, could you please tell us why Dave Carp owes you $10? I'm never going to tell you. Never. He knows. If he ever pays me, then I'll share the story. But I doubt he will. He and Chris Duhon, former NBA player, both of them owe me money. Anywho. uh, Yeah, my final thoughts. It makes me happy. Yeah, there there are some glaring issues with this show. But 
this is being done lovingly. If if a formula, yeah, it is absolutely. It is a ready-cooked meal. I get that. Not a home-cooked. It is, you know, it's, it's a pot pie that you throw in the oven. But it is warm. It is comforting. Also, I really like the Don't Bothers jerseys. I think the name, the Don't Bothers, is stupid. Stupid. I mean, just pick a different bird. Um, it's just it's stupid. But their jerseys were this cool design combination of the Cleveland Browns who again like hapless uh, as a friend once who was a Cleveland fan once put it to me uh, when I thought that the Browns might be good one year he he responded you can't break a man unless you give him hope Uh, so the combination of the jerseys kind of being Cleveland Browns and Philadelphia Flyers from the old Broad Street Bullies days like they're good jerseys they look good and I like the way the pieces are coming together in this show. I like that Evan is the kind of captain where he's actually going to push things. I like that Nick is the happy sidekick that enables Evan to be more intense. I like the infinite number of Easter eggs that are being laid through this show so that people can watch and go back and review and talk. I love Emilio's comedic timing. This show makes me happy in simple ways. And I don't really want that much more from it. When I get more, I'm satisfied. And when I get more and then am not given more the next time, then I am judgmental. But my baseline is I'm looking for pot pie. And this, this is satisfying to me. So Disney, if you're going to ride this nostalgia wave and crash it into my face repeatedly... Thank you for being satisfying. Even if Andrew's going to grouse. <laughs> Mark, what are your final thoughts? I'm going to I'm going to 100% agree with that incredible Marie Callender analogy. It's Thanks. It it I'm really hungry. is Yeah, it it really is great and plus happy having it in a format of an episodic a weekly episodic is really nice it's really nice in a world right now where time doesn't mean anything yep it's really nice to have even something as simple as you said something grounding that i know on friday i'm gonna watch this episode this quick episode and it's really nice and it felt really good that last night feel or when I watched this, that I'm like, oh, I get to watch this every week and then have a really good conversation with my friends who are also good conversationalists. And it feels I'm I'm Shakes. like getting emotional. I really am. It 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 feels really good. It it's very yeah. it's very it, satisfying. In a time where we are all distanced physically emotionally mentally because we've all had to check out a little bit this year anyone who has tried to maintain all of their mental acuity i assume has gone insane yeah i mean i haven't worn pants in so long so long put on 40 pounds 25 i'm wearing shorts there you go thanks Uh, for the crotch shot but you know like in a time where we've all had to be distanced nostalgia makes you feel 
connected. It makes you feel reunited with, with those that you loved, and it puts you back into a different physical and mental space when things were better. Because nostalgia, by definition, is of better times. There are always going to be issues in the world. There are always going to be complications. But everyone remembers things as better than they were because we want to. That's, I feel like that's just part of being part of a, a society. Mm-hmm. So I am thankful for this show. I am thankful for Disney's pure monetization of my needs because it does make me feel connected. And it gives me the opportunity to hang out and talk with you guys. That's right. And I appreciate that. Now, Andrew, feel free to shit on it. <laughs> you know what? I... <laughs> I need a minute. Oh. <laughs> I need a minute. <laughs> So here's all I'm going to say, uh, because I do want to leave on a positive note. I agree with everything you said, even if I'm coming at it from a slightly more negative standpoint, because what I said in the beginning holds true. The last moments of the show where they're playing the original Mighty Ducks theme, you see Gordon Bombay watching these kids try their hardest, clearly having the heart and watching his icy cold heart just begin to melt just the smallest amount. It got me. It is the reason that I want to keep watching the show. And I think Disney knows that. Mm -hmm. And for that, I am thankful because I do enjoy everything that you gentlemen pointed out. But I don't enjoy being the one to uh, say goodbye. I also don't enjoy apologizing to Keenan Thompson. Uh, oh, we are crap. so sorry. We no, have to we did it again? again this week. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll get you next week. Sorry about that, Keenan. We're very sorry. Um, but what did you think of the episode? Let us know in the comments. You can... Put them in the YouTube comments if that's where you're watching. If you are a podcast listener, please take a moment. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, rate us five stars. Leave your comments in the review. Or you can also go to knucklepucktime.com. Every episode has a comment section if you would like to leave your comments there. Check us out on TikTok as well. We are posting some behind-the-scenes content weekly uh, if not bi-weekly, and it's um, really good material. I love the word bi-weekly. And on that note... And with that... <laughs> I have been Andrew. I remain David. And I am still Mark Winsky. We'll see you next time. It's the cool time!